<laughs> All right, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I thought of preaching elsewhere, but because of the way the Lord made me, I couldn't stand leaving Matthew chapter 6 in the middle of the chapter. So I figure we'll finish this chapter this evening and then move on. Matthew chapter 6 in verse number 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or in the body more and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, and how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of those, one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is to, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening as we take time to glean from this last portion of Matthew chapter 6 where it just seems like divine logic is on fire to the hearer. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening. Be with us as we glean from your word. Be with those who are teaching in other parts of the building. May your name be magnified this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been working through Matthew chapter 6. We've 
is focused mostly on the Lord's Prayer, what is oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer. We've come back and gleaned a little more from fasting, but really Matthew chapter 5 and 6 is what is often called the Beatitudes. The Lord here is delivering probably one of my favorite portions of text is Matthew chapter 5 and 6 when it comes to the Lord's teaching. You know, oftentimes when we start learning about God and who God is, we learn about all of the things that God can do. But here in the last portion of Matthew chapter 6, the Lord is teaching the hearer, the reader, the, the listener about what God cannot do. There are things that God cannot do. God cannot be divided. God can not lie. But if you really just take in as a whole what Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 34 is all about, you recognize that Christ is teaching everyone that God cannot take second place. He doesn't do second place in our life. He is of the first priority. He is the recipient of our worship and him alone. Now through this, at times, logical teaching, at times uh, the Lord is applying the practical things of life to give us a deeper understanding of just how much we can trust God. And yet he also applies the teaching to help us to realize how much we do trust him. In verse number 24, he tells us that no man can serve two masters. This word masters from the Greek, it, it means Lord. Lord is someone who has absolute, absolute sovereign control over someone, something. So the Lord asks, and he asks us even here this evening, how we, as we read this word, how can there be two lords in our life? How can we testify this evening that he is our Lord and that we are sovereignly under his control, yet we find ourselves enlisted to the service of the world? There is confusion here, but look how he starts this. His encouragement to really to us in these last verses is to make up your mind. In verses 19 through 20, he tells us to lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. I want you to recognize something here. That's not always, not always on the front thought of our mind. In verses 19 and 20, the Lord does not condemn the thought of laying up treasures. Matter of fact, that he says it's, it's, a, it's a normal thought process to think about today's labor for a future benefit. That's normal. It's no big deal. We oftentimes labor today and we think about the future, about our retirement. We have to put some away, put some away because one day we're going to retire. The Lord says, this thinking, this is natural thinking. 
But where the Lord challenges them and where he redirects them, verses 19 to 20, he says the problem isn't about laying up treasures. The problem is when you lay up treasures upon earth. The problem is, is when you take what you possess and it possesses you and you lay it up for your own personal benefit. This is problematic. He says the thought of laboring though and laboring for the Lord, that's completely understanding, recognizing that there's a day coming where if we invest here, there is a significant return for the investment in which we've done in this life. You know, oftentimes we see when we face problems, you know, we can at times feel panic. How are we going to get this fixed? I don't have the money for this. I, I don't have the money for that. But yet when it seems the, the wealthy of this world, when they find a financial problem, it's no big deal because they seem to have the money to take care of all of these things. And at times we find ourselves envious of them. We define people in the world today about how much money they have. The world is so caught up in it. Forbes produces a list of the richest people in the world. And everybody gobbles it up because in the mindset of the world, monetary wealth defines you. But the Lord here in these last verses asks us, who do you trust? Who do you really trust in your life? Do you trust your money? Do you trust your possessions? Do you trust your assets? Do you trust your finances? Or do you trust God? You see, the reason that he lays out 19 and 20 about this thought process of laying up treasures is because the connection of treasures to our heart. Because he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it is the laboring that we do and the investing that we do for the future day. It is the proclamation of exactly where our heart is. If we labor for our own selves, for our own benefits in this life, it is the definition that we believe that the money that we're gaining, we're storing away because we must take care of ourselves because in the end, God's not going to take care of us. Whether we acknowledge it or not, this doesn't mean don't put money in your 401k. That's not what we're after here. This is not a Joel Osteen service. Put your money in the plate. All right? But it is the realization that we have to live with glory on the mind. We have to live and handle our finances realizing that the greatest return of investments of our life, our money, our foods, our goods, is to invest it into others for the glory of God. He says when he was talking to the young rich ruler, the young rich ruler, wow, I mean, he, he really thought that he had followed down the line, did he not? The young rich ruler, and I think it's Matthew chapter 19 he, he's speaking to the young rich ruler. The Lord tells the young rich ruler, the young rich ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, well, in order to inherit eternal life, 
you, the Lord starts to go through. You can't commit adultery. You can't covet. You can't murder. You can't bear false witness. You, uh, you can't, uh, you have to honor your parents. You have to love your neighbor. And he goes through all of these things. And this young rich ruler says, Hey, don't worry. I've done all these things since my youth. The Lord in return after hearing this, he says, see you being perfect. The sarcasm. See you being perfect. Take all your wealth. Go sell it. Feed the poor. Help those who are in need. And then he follows up with that and says, and then you will have riches in heaven. And the young rich ruler went away sorrowful. Because you see, the young rich ruler he strived to follow God's word. He said, I honor my parents. I kept the law. I did this. I did that. But yet in his heart, he was blind to the reality that he coveted his money. He was blind to the reality that when it came to his possessions, his possessions had become an idol to him. They had become entered into a world of idolatry. The Lord was trying to teach him that if you will take your great wealth and invest it into others who are in need, then you'll have treasures in heaven. And I think that's exactly what the Lord is trying to teach us here in the last part of Matthew chapter 6. This is what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. Laying up treasures in heaven is when you take that which you do have and invest it into others with the Lord in mind. He, so he says even further in verses 22 and verses 23, I love how the Lord handles this. So not only does he tell them that this is what it means to lay up treasures in heaven. Not only does he say that wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But in verses 22 and verse 23 he says, the light of the body is the eye. For thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness. So the Lord is saying to them, are you seeing this? He says even more to us, are you seeing this? Are you visibly or visibly seeing your own life right now? He says, if your eye is here or if your eye is there, meaning it was a moment to reflect, so to say. He says, if you can look with your eyes upon yourself and see this, this is good. If you look upon yourself and see this, well, this is bad news. But really, he keeps refining this back to the same point in verse number 24, that you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I find this to be a powerful point. Now, I don't know what kind of Bibles you have. If you have an electric Bible or an e-Bible, you're out of luck for this this evening because it won't be there. But who all in the front of verse number 24 sees a, a backwards P in front of the verse? You see it? Okay. Well, if you see that, who knows what that means? All right. 
Well, this is called a pill crow. A, a, a pill crow is put in the Bible here to help you to understand that there is a new train of thought being delivered. It's to help us understand, you know, when we start a new paragraph, we have an indention and then we start a, a new train of thought. Now, if you have a study Bible, it's kind of confusing because in my study Bible, the pill crow is at the beginning of verse number 24, but then the new train of thought is put into a paragraph in verses 25 through 34, but really 24 is connected to 25 through 34. And why is this so important? Because verses 24, that no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is connected to 25 through 34, which is a whole section dedicated to the thought and the troubles of believers trying to serve God and mammon. 25 is dealing with this anxiety, really. He says, therefore, I say unto thee, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet your body. What ye shall put on is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He's going on to say you shouldn't be this word thought means to um, be caught up in anxiety. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought of your life. Don't have no anxiety about your life. Don't have anxiety about your food. Don't have anxiety about your money. Don't have anxiety about your clothes. Don't have anxiety about what you're going to drink next. Don't even worry about all of this at all. If you find yourself worrying about where you're going to get food and money and drink tomorrow, next week, next year, if you're going to lose your job and all of these things, what you have found yourself is anxious over the reality that we're not obeying verse number 24. That we actually think that these things, the possessions of this life is actually what takes care of us. That's a different master. God is the one who takes care of his children. He says in verse 25, not only is anxiety unnecessary because God has got this under control, but he goes on to say in, in verse number 31 that it's, even not, it's not even worthy of your worry. Verse 31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? This word here, thought, he says, it's not even worthy of your concern. Where of this stuff's coming from? It is so minute to God to make sure you have food, to make sure you have drink, to make sure you're clothed. It is nothing for him. Therefore, it's not even worthy of you to worry about. What is it to him? It, to us, it seems... So huge, but to God, it's nothing at all. And in verse number 34, he says, not only is it worthy of our, not, not only is it unworthy of our concern, not only is anxiety not necessary, but verse number 34 says, take, their, uh, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought 
For the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what he's saying? He said, listen, it's actually altogether unprofitable. It really shouldn't bother us at all. It shouldn't stress us. It ain't going to do you no good. Why isn't it going to do us any good? So he goes on in verse number 6, really 26. I guess I, I, this is like, this is logical thinking from the Lord. Divine logic. From heaven alone. He pours out unto us the reasons why you shouldn't even worry. So he says in verse 26, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Well, the, word, the birds, I mean, do you see them storing up food? Do you see them building barns to hide food? Do you really think that the birds of this world are more significant in this world than you? Was it of the birds that he said, we created them in our own image? His reminder to us is, when is the last time you walked out in the middle of winter and seen 5,000 birds laying dead in the yard? God has successfully taught birds how to navigate to where to go to find food. He leads them to the place of food every season, and yet they are even more insignificant than we are. He loves us. It's logical. He takes us to the birth even more. Verse number 27. He says, which of you by taking thought, meaning which, which one of you all, by being anxious, which one of you by being worried? Which, by, which one of you all by being stressed out can add one cubit unto his stature? You could take this in two ways, I suppose. That when he says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? You could say it in the aspect of height. Which of you by stressing out and thinking that you're too short physically in this life and have a desire to be taller. But which one of you, by being stressed and anxious, has actually been able to achieve one cubic taller? None of you. Even more, which one of you, by being stressed and anxious about your life coming to an end, which one of you, by being stressed and anxious, has been able to add one cubit to your life. Not one of you. Matter of fact, the doctors, when we go to the doctors and we're under the weather and we're stressed and we're anxious, the one thing they'll tell you to do is quit the job. Get away from it. This stress is killing you. So he says here, by you being stressed and worried out, how have you extended your life? How have you even grown at all? You haven't. No one has. Even more of this divine logic, verses 28 through 30. And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They toil not. Neither do they spin. 
And yet I say unto you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, clothe you, O ye of little faith? And why take ye thought for raiment? Why are you spending so much time worrying about how you're going to buy clothes on another day? Why are you spending so much time about how you're going to afford your next wardrobe change out two months from now? Why are you so and given so much thought and anxious to being clothed or maybe even being caught up with the Joneses? Why are you giving so much thought? Why are you so stressed out about getting the same kind of clothes that they have? The Lord said, let me explain it to you like this. Consider the lilies of the field. Now, lilies look beautiful. It doesn't matter whether you dig up the flower beds in front of your house and plant them. Lilies look beautiful there. But even more in, in this kind of picture of where they are in this message being delivered, lilies is something beautiful that you could find even in a desert place even amongst the thistles. The Lord said, consider the lilies of the field. They don't labor, they don't toil, and yet they come up. And when you look at a lily and its amazing beauty, he said, not even Solomon in all of his wisdom, in all of his wealth, in all the things that he could afford, in all the attire that he had in this life, not even Solomon was arrayed like one of these. Yet, they didn't work for it. They didn't toil. They was among thorns. They was in a desert place. And God still managed to bring them up and make them beautiful. So he's, the Lord's reminding us, he, just because you may not be in a fruitful place, you might be in a desert place. Your finances might be in a desert place. You might find yourself amongst thistles. You might find yourself in financial situations where you don't, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. The Lord reminds us that he has the ability and him alone can clothe us. And when he does his work, he could put us in a finer garment than even Solomon could afford. Who can do such this work? Who can do work like this? Who can do all of this? Even in verse 31 and 32, he gives a command and he gives comfort. Therefore, take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all of these things. He starts off in verse 31 telling them with the command, don't even worry about it. Take no thought about this at all. Saying what we're going to eat, what are we going to drink, where we shall, just quit. Don't give no thought to it at all. And then he comes back after he gives us this command to not worry about it. He gives us this divine comfort and says, don't you understand that your heavenly father already knows your needs? 
He already understands what you need. He understood what Adam and Eve needed in the garden when he clothed them. And he's been clothing his children ever since. He's been feeding his children ever since. You know, I oftentimes when I look at myself and look at how I be, was a father to Seth and still a father to Seth and Madison and Levi, I have learned a lot since Caleb. And they say the first kid kind of has the roughest run at it because parents don't know nothing about parenting. But, you know, when it comes to the Lord, we are not his first child, nor are we his only child. This is, his not, this is not his first go around clothing and feeding his own. He's been doing this since the beginning of time. So he says more in verse number 34. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The Lord says, don't even worry about tomorrow because you know why? It may not even come. You're stressing about something you shouldn't even be stressing about. There was a, I don't know what you would call it, um, a fable about this clock that was in a restaurant that stood in the corner every second passing time. And the fable goes that as the clock was sitting in the corner, the clock began to think one day as it was ticking away hour after hour. It began to think to itself, if I tick every second, well, there's 60 seconds in a minute. Then it began to think, well, if I tick every second and there's 60 seconds in a minute, then there's 60 minutes in an hour, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to click 3,600 times every hour. I'm going to have to click over 84,000 times in a day. Then there's tomorrow, and then there's the next day. And as the fable goes that the clock began to get more and more and more worried, and the more it began to think, the more it began to get overwhelmed, and it said, by the end of this year, I'm going to have to click over 31 million times. The fable goes on to say the clock became so overwhelmed thinking of what it must be like to have to click 31 million times this year that the clock began to stop working. Overwhelmed by the task that was in front of it. After a few days has passed, the fable goes on to say the clock began to realize that it may have to click 31 million times in the next year, but it only has to do one click in this very moment. One click now and one click in another second. It doesn't have to do 31 million clicks at one time. So I think what the Lord is trying to teach us is kind of like the faith. Don't worry about what's going to happen for the next 15 years. Of course, we're going to be wise. You know what? If I think about how I'm going to take care of my things that I have coming up six months from now, Lauren will have to tell me to stop pacing and take a deep breath. It's going to be fine because I am myself. When I begin to worry, I get overwhelmed, too. 
But what the Lord is reminding us is that we can lose today worrying about tomorrow's problems. Don't lose today worrying about tomorrow's problems. Today, face today. Worry about today. We've been clothed today. We've been fed today. But have we labored today? When we wake up tomorrow, this is what the Lord taught us about our prayer. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. We should be living each day sold out for him, focused on him, living for him, investing for the one day when we get into heaven and see him. That's the ultimate return. But until then, live for today. Not for tomorrow. If, if, imagine it like this. If everybody lived their life focused on they, need the, they needed money, monetary gains, so that they could retire one day, we would have no mission board back there. Believe it or not, you can ask the Reinhardts after the service, but they'll probably tell you they did not strike it rich in Peru. But they was living their life invest in, in laying up treasures in heaven. And by the way, I know you know this, but if you live your life investing into yourself today, your time of enjoyment is very short. But if we live our lives investing and in laying up treasures into heaven, our time of enjoyment is eternity. And eternity is all that matters. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. I pray that you help us each and every day to not get caught up in what's happening tomorrow and where we need to be tomorrow and what we have to do tomorrow. May we wake up each day recognizing that we're accountable for today. We're alive today. Today, we've been given the opportunity to labor for you. Today, we've been given the opportunity to live for you. Today, we've been given the opportunity to tell others about you. This is all opportunities that may not be here tomorrow, whether it's that we're gone or that they're gone. Lord, may we take and each of our steps be ordered in your word. May we live each day in the light of the blessings we received today. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.